Awesome. Welcome, everybody. Um, you know, this is a passage that you've probably heard preached on about a million times. But for me, when I was kind of uh, reading through and, and doing some of my devotions, I was just struck again by the power of this simple message in this passage. Struck again by the power of all that Jesus has done. You know, Jesus, if you look through, throughout the kind of Gospels, he is, he, there's 37 uh, records of various miracles that he's done. And about two-thirds of those is where he's, he's actually healing someone. And um, he, he likely did those. And, and, and there are many that probably he did that were not even recorded. But of the ones that re- were recorded, Jesus healed somebody or sometimes to make a point. Sometimes to kind of, yeah, uh, show that he, he was able to forgive sins and, and prove his deity. And sometimes he did it to kind of even uh, show a point to the Pharisees and the rulers of the day when he healed the man on the Sabbath day. And sometimes Jesus did it privately. Sometimes, as we see in the story, Jesus actually went to go and heal someone deliberately, like in the story of, of Jairus's daughter. And sometimes he healed them even just by saying a word from a distance. But the focus was always on the one person. And he engaged with them and he, he often got down on their level and looked at them face to face. But this story is slightly different. And it's actually, uh, I'm not going to preach on the whole passage, but I'm going to focus very much on the, the, issue, the woman with the issue of the blood. But it's like a, a miracle sandwich, isn't it? This passage. It's got two miracles, just pop, 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 one after the other. That's three. So pop, pop. But it's like a. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I can't count. Anyway, uh, so it's like it's a miracle sandwich. And in the middle of this amazing passage is this testimony and this miracle that Jesus performs for this lady. And as we see and we understand the context, just in chapter 4, we see that Jesus had had done an amazing miracle where he calmed the storm. And we know that story where he calmed the storm. He said, peace be still, and the the storms were still. And then he healed, in in chapter 5, he healed the demon-possessed man, and he delivered him from the demons. And we see that wherever Jesus went, a large crowd gathered. Jesus was kind of a big deal, let's be honest. Like, he's kind of... Big Daddy, like he was just the man of the day. And, and people just gathered to wherever he was. And wherever he was, people surrounded him. A bit like Will Ross when he enters a room. You know, people just <laughs> gather around him, don't they? They just surround him. But like seriously though, Jesus just gathered a crowd. And it says that a crowd pressed around him and, and, and Jairus came to him and, and asked him to heal his daughter. And then as, as, as Jairus follows Jesus and they go towards Jairus' house, we come to the point of where I want to pick up. And I've, in, I've called this, this sermon an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. Because each and every one of us, isn't that what we need today? We need a fresh encounter with Jesus. And so I, I've got three points that I'm going to get through uh, as quick as I can, because I believe actually we just want to encounter Jesus this morning. And we want to encounter him and his precious touch. So the first one I have is the undesirable woman. The first part of this passage, we read very much and we understand uh, the, the context of who this woman was. Um, we, we get a, a great understanding of, of her standing within society. 
And now I come, I've come up with a few points that kind of just give us an idea and shape this, this character, the reason why she was so undesirable. The first one is she was diseased and disgraced. It says in verse 25, and the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This woman had had a consistent and continual battle on her hands. She was facing continual bleeding day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. She was absolutely exhausted from bleeding. She was bleeding, and, and, and the problem with this bleeding is that in Leviticus, in the Jewish law of the day, it meant that she was unclean. That actually, even if she touched someone of anyone, if she touched them, then they would also become unclean. And you're like, well, what, what, why is that a big deal? Well, being unclean in the day meant that you had to be separated from other people. You were unable to go into the synagogue and join the worship of the God that you so loved. And that unclean period was until the blood had stopped. And this lady's blood had kept going for 12 long years. She was branded in society as unclean. No one would want to touch her. No one would want to go near her. And even if she sat on a chair or the bed that she lay on would be unclean. And if anyone touched that bed or that chair then they would be classed as unclean. She was such a broken lady. And as a result, she was probably divorced because of her husband would not have wanted to be with her. She was abandoned by her family. She had no home and no friends. And actually, society had ostracized her. And they had kept her at arm's length. You know, I went to hospital the other day and I was struck again and reminded again of the days, the good old days. Oh, the good old days of COVID. Oh, dear. Do you remember those days when you had to put a mask on? You had to put a gloves on? You put an apron on? You put wellies on? You put whatever on? You put a shield on so that you could be separated because you wanted to not catch what was going around. And you had to keep everyone at arm's length. And that was very much the circumstance and the situation of this lady. She was kept at arm's length. She was kept as an outsider. And not only that, but your heart breaks for her as you continue to read on the story because this lady, not only has she suffered greatly, but it carries on in verse 26. It says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So not only... Not only was this lady diseased and disgraced, but she was destitute. She was completely broke. She had no money left. She had tried to seek help from doctor after doctor. She had probably called 111 with no avail. She had tried one doctor after another. You know, when you get to see one, you then see another one the next time. Like That was very much her story, but she, she didn't get free access to the NHS. She had to pay for every single meeting and every single treatment that she had. And the problem with that was that they didn't actually cure her. It just made her problem worse. Imagine spending all that you had to try and fix a problem that was before you and actually the problem just seemed to get worse. The word suffered there because she had suffered a great deal. 
actually talks about not only a physical suffering, but it talks as well of a suffering with the mind and emotions. This woman was so tired and downtrodden. She was probably on the verge of just as this is the last I cannot handle anymore. Probably on the verge of a mental breakdown. And what I find striking most of all is in this passage, we have the name Jairus. But we have no name for this woman. You know, society does not want to give us a name. Society wants to rob us of the name that God has given us. Because our name is the identity we have in Christ. This woman had no name. In actual fact, her infirmity was the thing that she identified with. You know, I wonder this morning, what is in your life that is actually defining you? What is in your life which is actually consuming you and overtaking you and you're feeling it's kind of overwhelming you? But what is that thing that has actually, become, that's actually begun to define who you are and the way that you act? What is that thing in your life which is maybe sapping all your energy or pulling you down? Maybe it's a, an addiction or an unhealthy pattern of life. Maybe it's a, a tense family or work situation. Maybe it's something that you've been doing year in, year out, and you just cannot get a breakthrough, and you are just, the problem has, become to def, has began to define you. And if we're not careful, we forget who God has called us and made us to be. You know, in today's day, when we have problems and issues, we do what we can to fix them, don't we? We like to be Mr. Fix-It. I know Will is the best at fixing everything. Um, so if you have any problems, do give him a call. Uh, but, you know, in, the, in this day and age, we, we want to fix all our problems, don't we? We have a, a gadget to fix everything. I mean, if you think about your home, you can often think, oh, I don't have this. But it, you probably don't need lots of those gadgets in your home. But we often try and find things to fix the problems that we have. And as a people, we often self-medicate, don't we? When we're lonely, we go to the doctor of entertainment because actually it's a safe place, isn't it? We can bury ourselves in the next episode or the next season. When we're a proud person, we can maybe bury ourselves in money and success because it makes us look good. It puffs us up. And oh my goodness, look how amazing that person is. But soon enough, it will erode. And maybe if that person doesn't know their wealth, their worth, it's the doctor of self-harm. Maybe if they are trying, they're struggling with self-doubt, it's the doctor of pleasure, self-help, and drown your sorrows. You know, we can often go to the wrong things, and we can get tired. And that's where this woman was at. She had tried every avenue, she tried every situation. But nothing was working. And we also see that she was determined. Although she was destitute, although she was diseased and disgraced, it is amazing the determination that this lady had. I have been challenged greatly by this woman's determination. You know, sometimes when God brings us to our very end, when God brings us to when we have nothing left, all we have to look for is Jesus. That is when determination steps in. 
That is when it becomes a decision. Are we going to step in and do something or are we going to allow our problems and our circumstances to determine our future circumstance? She was determined. I love that in Luke 8 verse 42, the same account, it says, And Jesus was on his way and the crowds almost crushed him. This, these crowds, as I said, Jesus attracted a lot of people. And this, these crowds were so numerous that they were actually crushing Jesus. Like, Jesus could have probably smote them in a moment. He's going to just like, boom, like kind of done a bit of lightning and like pushed them all away. But these crowds were pressing. They were so intense, a bit like the stampedes of, of coming out of a, a stadium or other such things. But these, there was such a crowd. And we see the determination of this woman because it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. The crowd was not an obstacle that stopped her from getting the blessing that she so desired. So often in our lives, isn't the crowd an obstacle? Isn't the crowd something that pushes us in the wrong way, takes us down the wrong path? You know, I was in London um, <laughs> for New Year's and I took our Burundian friends to, uh, to London and uh, we, went, we went out on, on New Year's Eve thinking, I thought it was a great idea, let's go see the fireworks in London. What an amazing experience. Uh, and so, like, obviously we didn't book a ticket because we didn't know they were coming until a bit later. So all of Embankment and all the best areas were, were ticketed and closed so we couldn't go there. So I jumped on Google. You know, Google the internet always has the answers. But I Googled, and I was like, right, I found the best place, which is kind of secondary to the, obviously, being on the embankment. Uh, and so we, we took the underground in, and uh, I said, right, guys, this is the best place. It was actually straight out of embankment station, and you could see the top of uh, the London Eye. I was like, guys, this is, this is it. This is, this is it. But as you step out of the underground, it's like, oh, you're like doing these ones. And people are like jostling you. People are like push, pushing you. And I, I felt a bit, I mean, I'm not normally claustrophobic, but I was like, <gasps> like I was freaking out. I was like, dude, this is not cool. I want to go home. Uh, but the problem was, these guys got kind of caught up in the emotion of it all. I had planned out. I was like, guys, this is the place. Let's stay here. No, no, no. These guys were like, I've got a better idea. I thought, oh, God. So they decided to start following the crowd. You know when you follow the crowd, it's never going to be good. But they, they decided that they wanted to get a better view. How often is that better for you? Not actually better, but it's actually worse. Because no, no matter what happened, I was like, guys, if you want to go, be it on your head. So I... Followed them, kind of working my way through the crowd, trying not to get crushed, trying not to be stampeded, but we followed. And we followed, and as we followed, we were getting further and further away. And I was like, guys, we're getting further from the action, not closer. Anyway, we kept on walking, and Billy, he was very determined. He, he'd planned out every minute of his holiday. Like, it was so packed, he did more than I've done in probably 12 years um, in, in the UK. So he just did everything he could, because he was like, I'm not coming again, so I'm going to make it worthwhile. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fair enough. So he just jam-packed his day, and we were like going through, and the crowd was pushing us through, and I said, guys, where are we going? So Billy said, we're going that way. I was like, oh, we're following the crowd. We ended up in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> sure enough, here comes New Year's. Three, two, one. Happy New Year. We couldn't see a thing. All we saw was the little after effects of the fireworks falling down on the floor. 
And I turned to the guys and I said, if we'd stayed where I told you to stay, we would have seen so much more. But that's the problem, isn't it? When we follow the crowd, we miss out on what God has for us. When we allow the crowd to stop us getting to Jesus, that is when we miss out on the wonder and the glory and the beauty of who he is. Because we get so surrounded and crushed by the crowd. But she had determination to keep going. She had determination not to allow the crowd to stop her, but she kept on moving. So she was determined and she also had desire. This woman had amazing desire. It says, because she thought... If I touch his clothes, I will be healed. What amazing statement. What amazing faith. If I touch his cloak, I don't even need to touch him. If I touch his cloak, I will be healed. There's not a question or a doubt. She had heard that this man was a healer and she knew and she had her faith to believe that even just his garment was enough to heal him. Whoa. Come on, like what kind of amazing, crazy faith is that? And you know, I, I think you need to understand, in no point in, in, in Jesus' records did it say that his garment had healed anyone else. There is no record that his garment had ever healed anyone else. Why were the crowd surrounding him and people in that crowd probably were not healed? Because she had faith to believe. She had faith to believe and she had faith to risk it all. And as she stepped out, she went and had the touch that she was desiring. And that's my second point, the unexpected touch. She had faith and it was honored. It says in verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering immediately, not like, not like it took a week or two, immediately she touched the hem of his garment and that hem is actually a little tassel and that's why I've given you this image because it was just one of these that was hanging off the edge of his garment because as Jewish men they had to wear this garment because it reminded them of their place as a man in society. She didn't even touch the actual cloth. She just touched the little bead that was holding on the edge. And she just grabbed it as she reached through the crowd, the crowd that was telling her no. She grabbed it. And immediately, she felt healing come upon her. I want you this morning to put your hands together like this. And squeeze as hard as you can. Three, two, one, squeeze. I'm going to tell you when to let go in two seconds. But I want you to squeeze as hard as you can this morning. Keep squeezing until you can feel like you're about to pop. Ooh, it feels good, doesn't it? You know, this woman had her heart pain and discomfort all over her body for 12 long years. But as soon as she touched Jesus' clothing, she felt release. Without letting go of your hands, just let the grip smooth go. Just let it release. Release your grip. Do you feel that release? Do you feel that, oh, sense of thank you, Jesus. That was uncomfortable. That makes a change. Imagine that feeling of tension, that feeling of pressure for 12 long years and then suddenly release. <laughs> Just one touch. Just one touch. And it not only did it happen immediately, but it also happened, Jesus turned around instantly because he realized straight away. 
And Jesus said in verse 46, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Jesus knew instantly that something had happened. He had people all around him crushing him, even potentially stampeding him. But he felt that touch. He felt that touch of faith. And he said the words, who touched my clothes? And I love this whole dialogue because the disciples must have been like, dude, you've lost the plot. Like, you've actually gone crazy. It's, I know it's the peak sun of day. It's really hot. You're probably a little bit tired. You've done a lot of miracles. You're probably going a little bit stir crazy because everyone is touching you. There's not one person touching you. And I can imagine this dialogue as they were kind of just like, dude, what are you talking about? And they say, you see the people crowding against you, and you, yet you ask who touched me? I can imagine just that absolute flabbergasted shock. But I love, and I want you to notice this next line. In verse 32, it says, but Jesus kept looking. But Jesus kept looking. I love that phrase. I love that phrase because I know that Jesus keeps looking for each and every one of us. If we come to him as that lady did, she was broken and she was weak and she was weary, but she had faith to believe that that touch was enough to heal her, then Jesus will honor that faith and he will look out for us. He stopped, he turned around, and he kept looking. He asked, who touched my clothes? Not for, not for anyone else's benefit. Not so that he already knew who had touched his clothes, but he did it because he wanted it for her benefit. He wanted her to know that he acknowledged the power that she had just experienced. Because when we go to God in faith, just one touch can change a circumstance. You know, the difference between a crowd, there's a difference between the crowd bustling and brushing up against Jesus, and there's a difference coming to Jesus in faith for that one touch. You know, you might be coming to church week in, week out. You might be brushing up against Jesus, saying, how you doing, buddy? But you leave none, no different. Sunday after Sunday, every day, devotional after devotional, you brush up against Jesus. You say, hey, mate. But it's just like a touching base. But the difference is that this lady came for a purpose. She came to encounter the King of Kings. She was the least of anyone. But she wanted a touch from the king. I find it so humbling that her faith led her to a touch. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, it is not every contact with Christ that saves men. It is the arousing of yourself to come near to him. The determined, the personal, resolute, believing touch of Jesus Christ which saves not every single time we're in church do we leave saying, I met with Jesus. 
And sometimes we say, well, you know, the sermon was long, or the worship was not good, or uh, the announcements were boring, or da-da-da-da-da-da. But I wonder is how much of it was actually, I didn't come in faith to touch and to receive from Jesus. I wonder every Sunday and every time we're reading the word of God, do we come longing to touch, just touch his garment? And to receive a blessing from the Lord. I want the team to come up as I do my last point. Because we see that she was, she was the undesirable woman. She had the unexpected touch. And lastly we see that there was the ultimate honor bestowed upon her. And this is the part that I love because Jesus is in the business of honoring the least of these. He's in the business of honoring us when we come to him in faith this morning. It says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She had been humiliated beyond humiliation. And now she was being honored by the king of creation. Why? Well, you know, the reason Jesus wanted to pick her out in the crowd was not to humiliate her, but actually to say to her, firstly, daughter, I know that you have been truly healed. Don't ever doubt it. Because this woman probably would have gone home and said, actually, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe my bleeding is going to start again. Maybe my problem is going to start again. Maybe that addiction is going to come back again. Maybe that, that, that family problem is going to start up again. No, no. Jesus, when he touches you, he lets you know and he says, it will not happen again because I have touched you and I have changed your life forever. The other reason he wants to do it is because he wants others to see that the unclean have become clean just from one touch. He wants to display his power and his glory in and through the works of his hands. He wanted to restore the woman into society. He wanted to restore her dignity. And this morning he wants to do that for us. He wants to bless us abundantly. And he wants to say, I've made you clean. I've made you beautiful. I've made you wonderful. I've made you the head and not the tail. He wants us to see the way he sees us. And not only that, he wanted her to know the why and the how and not leave thinking, oh, well, it was just the, the hem of the thing. It was just the, 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 the coat that made me heal, healed. No, no, he wanted her to realize that it was her faith in him that healed her. But mainly, and I love this mainly, the reason he wanted to, to identify her in this story is because he wanted to honor her publicly. A woman who would never have been talked to 
would not have been involved in any social interaction. Who probably, if she said she was clean, people would not have believed her because she'd been bleeding for so long. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. This morning, I don't know what you're going through. But I know that there are people here that have had challenge after challenge. And this year has not been an easy year already. Jesus wants to say, my daughter, my son, my child, I love you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just come to me as weak as you are. As tired as you are, touch me and I will make you clean. I will make you new. I will renew your strength and I will be the lifter of your head. This morning, I believe Jesus wants to be that to us. I believe he wants to just kneel down because that lady fell at his feet and Jesus would have got down as was his custom and he stared in her eyes and he said, My daughter, my daughter, he loved her so much. No matter her past, no matter her circumstances, he said, my daughter. What an honor that the king of kings is saying that to you this morning. My daughter, my son. My daughter, my son. Some of us this morning, we need to believe that. Some of us feel that we've been rejected so much in our lives or we've gone through so much that there is nothing that can change our circumstance. But I believe there is one who is above it all. We sang, there is a name. (laughs) The name of Jesus. And this morning, the king of kings is on his knees and he's saying to you, come, my daughter, come, my son. Your faith has made you well. May we go in peace this morning knowing that God has looked upon us. He is looking upon us and he's inviting us to encounter him afresh. Just one touch can change our lives forever. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a redemptive God. You are a God who wants to turn our mess into a message of hope. Lord God, that you are a God who no matter what we're going through this year, even as we talked about casting our burdens on you last week, Lord God, there are things that have, we've maybe even carried year after year, day after day. Lord, we thank you, Father, that we can lay them at your feet and that we can bow before you and you will say to us, my daughter, my son, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Lord, we thank you that you want to honor us. Our minds cannot comprehend that the King of Kings wants to honor me. But Lord, we thank you that your touch is enough, more than enough.
So Lord, may we glorify you. May we magnify you. May we encounter you afresh in your name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the King of Kings.